0: Uh, There's good songs this morning. And the, uh, the last song, the, the one we just sang, was actually inspired by the first question and answer of the 1563 Heidelberg Catechism. And I, I just have to share them because I love their names. The main authors were Caspar Olivianus and Zacharias Ursinus. They were Dutch reformed. Um, but, but I, I want to read you that question and answer because I think it's just awesome. The question, and in case you wonder, it's a, it's a catechism. And what a catechism is, I know it kind of gives some Baptists the willies to even hear that word, but what it is, is it's simply a set of questions and answers to help you learn the content of your faith, what I believe. And so the first question in that catechism is this What is your only comfort in life? and death. And the answer is this: that I with body and soul both in life and death am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that all things must be subservient to my salvation, and therefore by His Holy Spirit, He also assures me of eternal life and makes me sincerely willing and ready from now on to live unto Him. That, that, I could see memorizing that might be a good idea. Um, and I hope we can agree with that and what the song said, that Christ is our only comfort, our only hope in life and death. Um, Now, I'm not going to preach the catechism this morning. I just wanted to share that because we were singing the song. What I am going to do is start a new four-week sermon series that's getting us ready for the Easter season. And it's going to be a series about how, on the cross, Jesus has shown himself to be our only hope in life and death. That's what we're going to look at. What what did Jesus do on the cross that, that makes him our only hope in life and death. And we'll start in Mark chapter 10 this morning, in the first of those four sermons. Uh, the focus, that, where I want to focus is verse 45, but I'm going to start reading in verse 35. And, and I'm going to go ahead and ask you if you'd stand once more in honor of God's Word. I'll be reading again, I said, from Mark 10, starting at verse 35. It says in James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, "Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you." And he said to them, "What do you want me to do for you?" And they said to him, "Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory." Jesus said to them, "You do not know what you are asking." must be slave of all for even the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many heavenly father this is your word and god you inspired it and you have preserved it it is it is here for us and before us this morning and i pray that you would use it god give us minds to understand Give us hearts to believe. And may your spirit use this word to draw people to Christ and to make us better followers of our Lord and Savior. We pray in his name. Amen. may be seated. Now, I imagine you can tell without a lot of help what the main point of that whole long passage is, right? I mean, Jesus is saying... You want to follow me and be great. You serve each other. The disciples, they're thinking about Christ's kingdom, thinking Jesus is going to come and restore David's kingdom. and they really want promotions when Jesus takes His throne. They want to be number one and number two, James and John do. So do all the other disciples. That's the whole reason they get mad when they hear what James and John are asking. right? James and John just beat them to the punch. And Jesus says, no, in my kingdom, greatness comes when you go low not when you shoot for the heights, right? You, you serve others. And then he gives himself as an example. He says, because you're, you're following me, and that's how I've done it. He says in verse 45, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, in, in the King James, the word serve is, is minister, and be served is be ministered to, um, in, in in both both cases they mean the same thing serve or minister in fact it's the the Greek word diakoneo, which there's no Greek quiz on this but but it's important because it sounds like deacon right And that's what deacons do they minister or serve the body of Christ, the church so it's really the same word and Jesus is saying I, I am the perfect example for you if you're going to follow me I didn't come this this coming this first coming to be served I I came to serve, and so if you're going to follow me, that's how you have to go. Now, that is a great lesson, and if you take that lesson away this morning, you will be better for it, but that's not the main point I'm going to make. I want us to look really hard at verse 45. That's what I want us to do this morning, because Christ is our hope in life and death, because the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I mean, that's why he's our hope in life and death. And that's what we're going to do. In Mark 10, 45, we find a fourfold hope in Jesus as he he tells his disciples why he came. We find our hope in Jesus as he says, here's why I came. To begin with, we find hope in Jesus because Jesus came as the son of man. He says the son of man came. And he's speaking about himself and Jesus does that. He calls himself the Son of Man, does that often. And when he does that, he's doing a lot more than saying, I'm a human being. Right? I, mean, I can say Don is the Son of Man. That man was named Dean Hendrickson. But that's, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying a lot more. He's, he's, he's drawing them back to Daniel chapter 7. And they would have got that. They would have understood that. But that also means that it's good for us to go to Daniel 7. So, you might want to flip over to Daniel 7. Should have put my bookmark in there. The big Bible is a lot of pages to flip. Okay. So, in in Daniel 7, and we're going to talk about that a little bit, um, you may have read the book of Daniel. I hope you've read the book of Daniel. If you're here a few years ago, I preached through the book of Daniel. But Daniel 7, of course, comes after six chapters. And those six chapters focus on God as the sovereign over all people in history. Remember the statues that kind of go through history and and God ends it all as he ends it all and he's the sovereign. Daniel interprets dreams and we learn of kingdoms that are going to come and go and then God's kingdom is the final kingdom. Well, we get to Daniel 7 and God is telling Daniel about how that final kingdom will come. And, And the hero who brings about that final kingdom in Daniel 7 is the Son of Man. If you look at Daniel 7, verse 9, it says, Out of one of them came the little horn, and he's talking about these rulers, which grew exceedingly great toward the south. Oh, I in eight. That's right. It that didn't sound at all right. Daniel, what a day. Daniel 7, verse 9. Yeah. Daniel says, As I looked, Thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The courts set in judgment, and the books were opened." I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. And for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and for a time. So you have the ancient of days. That is the almighty God. Right? The one who is older than time. The ancient of days stands in judgment. He's got these books open. The books of man's deeds and the beastly rulers who have, have been against God's people are judged. There's, there's four of them. One of them is put to death and the others are kicked out of their kingdom forever. And then we get to verse 13. And verse 13 says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So the Son of Man comes to the Ancient of Days. He's given dominion, that's rule, and glory, and a kingdom. And he's given that. Why does it say he's given that? So that absolutely everyone would serve him. That's what it says, that, that all people's nations' language should serve him. And it's going to last forever, this kingdom. It'll never be destroyed. And then in Mark 10, 45, Jesus says, The Son of Man came. Right? The Son of Man who got this kingdom. God the Father gives the Son of Man, that's Jesus, this kingdom, and He has come. That means Jesus is the Son of Man who received all this glory and stuff so that everyone would serve Him. Right? He's to be served by everybody. So we can find hope in Jesus because He is the almighty Savior sent by the Father to be the eternal King of righteousness right he's that eternal king who's who's come and and i mean we we can find hope in jesus because he's the son of man i mean think about that if you're going to place your hope in someone don't you need to place your hope in someone who is able well the son of man has been given everything power glory the kingdom he's able it, i mean if you're on a football team led by a quarterback, you want to follow the best quarterback, don't you? Right? I mean, every football season, you football fans, and you look at your team, you care about the quarterback, don't you? I mean, I'm a Dolphins fan. They go nuts over their quarterback, and he, since Dan Marino, it never turns out to be anything. But, but, but you, want, you want to follow the best, Right? I mean, if you go to court and you're going to follow the instructions of your lawyer as you go to court, you want the best lawyer, right? Or if you're a soldier going into battle and you're going to follow the orders of your commanding officer, you want the best commanding officer, don't you? Well, Jesus has said, you're following me. I am the son of man who has come. I am the one who in the heavenly places when God was holding court, showed up, was presented to the king, received dominion, glory, and a kingdom so that I would come and establish that forever kingdom. <clears throat> Friends, in this, in this battle for eternal life that we're in, in, this battle to be right with God and to follow Jesus, you can find hope because you are following the Son of Man. You're following him, the one who has everything he needs to gain the victory. We find hope in Jesus because Jesus came as the Son of Man. Let's keep going in Mark 10, 45. He says the Son of Man came, but then he says the Son of Man came to serve by dying. The Son of Man came to serve by dying. So he says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life. Now, that's, that's a huge switcheroo. I had a theology teacher used to always like to say this, because you find those things in the Bible, and you go, oh, and it's the great switcheroo. But this is one of those. This is one of those. Who is the Son of Man? We just saw. He is the one who's been given all of this so that everybody would what? Would serve him. And he says, but the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. In his first coming here, Jesus came to serve. And that's what the disciples didn't get. They, they were ready for a Son of Man coming, kingdom, dominion, forever, on the throne. They were ready for all that. They, they, they were good on that. They wanted you know, they wanted to just be sure they were on the cabinet when he established his government. But in the Incarnation, God taking on flesh in the person of Jesus came to serve. He had all the authority, all the power to demand whatever he wanted. And to demand that mankind bow the knee and serve him. But first he came to serve. This fits the lesson that he's teaching the disciples, right? Serve first, glory later. You serve Is the way to glory. But it tells us more than that because Jesus isn't done describing his service. He said he came to serve by giving his life. By giving his life. And with this statement, Jesus draws his disciples, he draws their minds back to another prophet. Another prophet. It's not Daniel this time, it's Isaiah. It's Isaiah in Isaiah 52. Isaiah Isaiah foretold uh, of the one that God the Father would send to serve and rule a redeemed kingdom too. Isaiah also talked about the one God the Father would send who would be this Messiah King. But in Isaiah, instead of the Son of Man getting all this glory to come, the the one who comes is the suffering servant in Isaiah. If we look in Isaiah 52... We can hear God's words about this suffering servant. It starts in Isaiah 52, verse 13. God says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told of them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we would look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised. we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned every one to his own way and the lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent so he opened not his mouth but oppression and judgment he was taken away and as for his generation Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Did you catch that? Over and over, the servant who comes and suffers and dies in order to rescue God's people from their transgressions, their sins. You see, in in Mark 10, 45, Jesus says, I'm the son of man. I'm the Daniel Powerful dominion, forever king who came. And he says that so we know he deserves to be served. Then he appeals to Isaiah and the suffering servant, but I came not to be served, but to serve by dying. So he's both. He he brings Daniel and Isaiah together in a way that says, I've come to serve by dying. That, that's, that's, it runs throughout this Isaiah passage. In, in the beginning of 52, verse 13, it's the crucified lifted up Christ who's, who's disgusting to behold because of the suffering and agony. In chapter 53, verse 3, it's a description of Christ's suffering on the cross, abandoned by his friends. In verses 7 through 9, it's another picture. He dies like a sacrificial lamb being slaughtered taken from the land of the living and laid in a rich man's grave. In fact, that is why in the book of Revelation, as John looks at the worship that's going on around the throne, and he hears the living creatures and the elders, and they're, they're all worshiping, and they're worshiping, singing a song to the Lamb who was slain. You see, from the prophets through what Jesus says in in Mark 10, 45, all the way to the end of the book, it's the picture of the one who is the almighty king with all the power and the glory, but he sits on the throne as the lamb that was slain. Jesus comes as the son of man, the Daniel 7 king. And as the king, he comes to serve. And his ultimate service is dying for his people, which will be all to the praise and the glory of Jesus, the King. So we find our hope, Jesus, as our only hope, because Jesus came as the Son of Man to serve by dying. We also find that he came to serve by dying as a ransom. Jesus came as the Son of Man to serve by dying as a ransom. That's what Jesus says, not to serve, but to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. Now, that was really clear in Isaiah 52 and 53 as well. The Son of Man, who is the suffering servant, didn't just die. I mean, there's been a lot of great men that came and died for causes in the history of mankind. But the Son of Man, the suffering servant, came to die for men by paying a price so that they could be free. Free from the consequences of their sin. That's a ransom. When you pay a price to set someone free, you ransom them. In Isaiah 53, starting at verse 4, almost every phrase there, the suffering servant pays the painful price, and we who deserve the pain reap the benefit. That's ransom. When he pays the price and we get the benefit. In Isaiah 53, verses 10 to 12, the suffering servant is made an offering for guilt for the people's iniquities so that the Lord's will can be done. And his will is that he would have a people. So they get to be his people. They're ransomed. They were the people of sin. Now they become his people because he pays the death price for them. You see, the transgressors in Isaiah carry grief and sorrow. That's what you carry because of your sin. You grieve and you sorrow. If you see your sin rightly, it causes you grief. And the the, the transgressors in Isaiah carried it because their iniquities earned punishment. I mean, you're not very old in this life before you realize one of the worst things about doing something wrong is getting punished. Right? That's pretty cut and dry. Well, that's exactly it when you know that you deserve... The punishment deserved by someone who has offended the law of an almighty and holy God, you grieve. You're captive, in order the words to judgment. But the Son of Man, the suffering servant, Jesus comes, and he pays the price so that those who are captive to judgment can be set free. He, I mean look what he says. He, he suffers the punishment they deserve. He carries their griefs and sorrows, He heals their wounds. He sets them free from judgment. He ransoms them. We find hope in Jesus. And our our only hope is in Jesus. Because Jesus came as the Son of Man to serve by dying as a ransom. You know, Peter is one of those guys in Mark chapter 10 who's angry at James and John because they asked for a place at the throne. And I've got to imagine, of all the other disciples, Peter was the most angry. Because you know it's Peter, James, and John in the sailboat. <laughs> you, know, just, you all know the song, right? If not, Debbie will teach you. Um, Peter, James, and John are the big three. They're the one. They're always there with Jesus. They're tight. So when James and John ask for that and don't, and Peter's not involved, you know Peter. He's the foot in the mouth guy. He had to be one of the first that's saying, "You bums, I was going to ask for that." Right? Well. Peter learns his lesson because he writes the book of 1 Peter. We read in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, a word to some suffering Christians. You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You see, the ransom paid was the precious blood of Christ. A phrase that describes the payment as the sacrifice of one life for another. The ransom result was freedom. Freedom from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. And you know what those are? I mean, when Peter's talking to them, the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, their forefathers were trying to make themselves right with God by doing good stuff. The trouble is when you've rebelled against the almighty God and you've, inf- you've offended infinite holiness, you can never make it up. You can never pay it back. You can't fix it by doing a few good things. It's kind of like a murderer saying, I'm a murderer, but I shouldn't go to jail because I helped an old lady across the street with her groceries. Nobody would buy that. Well, there's no way that any good we can do can ever pay back the offense that we've made, but the the sacrifice, the shed blood of Christ does. See, every man, woman, boy, and girl is born into captivity to sin, a slave to sin. And it is natural that every man, woman, boy, and girl will try to work their way out of it. You see that in children, right? moms and dads do. When, you, when your, your child is caught doing something wrong, they try to explain that it's okay because they've done something good at another time. It must be okay. Right? But I've been good other times. Right? It's a negotiation. And we all try to do that because in our hearts we think somehow we could fix it with God by just being good. But Isaiah says that's filthy rags. The only price that can set us free is the sacrifice of the spotless, blameless substitute. So Jesus, the Son of Man who deserves all the service and worship, comes to serve by offering himself as the Lamb of God on the altar of sacrifice in order to free people. That's the service Jesus renders. He doesn't just come to to serve by helping you get through that whole don't worry, be happy phase. He doesn't come to serve you just by making you feel a little more comfortable about yourself and who you are. He comes to serve by actually ransoming you with his blood from the penalty you deserve because of your sin. And that brings hope. Because you have no hope without that. And you have every hope with that. So we find hope in Jesus, our only hope. Because Jesus came as the Son of Man to serve by dying as a ransom, but as a ransom for many. For many. And we don't want to ignore those last two words. It'd be easy to read those and think those are just filler. Right? Well, of course it's going to say many because it wasn't just one guy. But they're not. Those are important. And matter of fact, I think there are two important things that we need to hear in those words for many. Two important messages. The first one is... It's a message of limitation. It's not a ransom for all, but a ransom for many. Which means, in the end, not all will be ransomed. Some will remain in captivity to their sin debt, striving to pay it off on their own, and in the final judgment, they will find they were unable, and they will suffer the eternal consequences of their sin. They will not be ransomed because, you know, you're not ransomed unless you're free. They will enter eternity and spend the rest of eternity suffering and their suffering will still be unable to pay the price for their sin. Because you can never be the spotless sacrifice. Not even the suffering of a man in hell for eternity is equivalent to the sacrifice of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Many will be ransomed, but not all. Many is an important word for that reason. But there's a second message, not just the message of limitation. There is a message of inclusion in the word many. This is not a ransom for one group of people. It is a ransom for many groups of people. Jesus' disciples, with their request... To have a position in Jesus' kingdom on the right hand and left hand in the throne is a Jewish thing for them to ask. They are expecting Jesus to restore the kingdom of David like it was under David with a throne in Israel, and they want to be right hand and left hand man. And Jesus is saying, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom Not just for one nation, but for many. But for many. This is not just an ethnic, a national, a Jewish thing that Jesus is going to do when he comes to serve and give his life as a ransom. The Son of Man, the suffering servant, has come to ransom a bigger kingdom. He's come to ransom a people for a kingdom like the one promised to Abraham. Remember, Abraham was promised his, his, he would have many kids, they would be great, they would get the land, but in the ultimate promise to Abraham was that through you, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That's the kingdom Jesus came to bring, a mini kingdom. He's also come to ransom a people for a kingdom like the one described in the Great Commission. In the Great Commission, Jesus says, go make disciples of all peoples, all people groups. Not just your own people group, of all peoples. So what's it we find in Acts 1-8? They're to go be witnesses to all people groups. It's the one that Jesus has come to ransom. He's come to ransom many, and he's come to ransom many like the kingdom described in Revelation 5-9, where we find that, that that final kingdom in that last day gathered around the throne will be made up of every tribe, language, people, and nation. The Son of Man did not come to ransom every person, but he certainly came to ransom many from every people group. And that leaves each one of us to answer a very, very important question this morning. If it's not everybody, but it's every people group, your people group is included. But are you? Are you? Your people group is included, but are you? Who gets ransomed? Who are the ones? I mean, if some do and some don't, who gets ransomed? Well, right after those verses I read earlier from 1 Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, Peter writes this, he was foreknown, speaking of Jesus, foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times, listen to this part, for the sake of you, Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. That is who is ransomed those who believe in Jesus. So this morning, you are among the ransomed if your faith, if your relationship to the Almighty God is based only on your faith in Jesus Christ. He came to ransom all who through him are believers in God. Everyone, no matter what their ethnicity, what their language, what their tribe, what the color of their skin, everyone who trusts in the promises of God that were made manifest in Jesus Christ when he came and he died on that cross to bear the sins of his people and rose again on the third day, having paid the price in full, Everyone that trusts in him is ransomed. So if your faith is in him this morning, you are ransomed. You are free. You are not captive to guilt. You are not captive to sin. You are free. And the price was paid by the shed blood of Christ. No matter where you're from, no matter who your mom and dad were or where they were from, No matter who you are, if your faith is in him, you are one of the many. You are ransomed. So we can find hope in Jesus, and Jesus is our only hope this morning, because he came as the Son of Man, not to be served, but to serve by dying as a ransom for many. Now every Sunday after the sermon, I always ask you to deal with the Word of God. And we've looked at a lot of the Word of God this morning. And I thought it was very important for you to see. This isn't just the message of one verse. This is, this is the message of the whole Bible. Right here. In Mark 10, 45. If you read a good commentary on Mark, it'll say, This is, this is the central key verse in the, in the telling of Mark's gospel. Right here. That Jesus came to serve by dying and be a ransom for many. And every Sunday I ask you to deal with the Word of God, and so I want to suggest three ways that you can deal with this Word of God this morning. The first way I've really been talking about already, you need to be sure you are among the ransomed. For, for, for your own sake this morning... Do not leave here this morning unless you are sure that the blood of Christ has paid the price for your sin and you are free. If your understanding of your relationship to God is is God is good, I am bad, so I need to be better. I want to burst your bubble this morning. You are doomed if you keep that up. You will never be good enough to be right with God. He is perfectly holy, and that is His standard for you. You will never meet that standard. But you can depend on one who came and did meet that standard. Because Jesus isn't just the Lamb of God sacrificed. He's the spotless Lamb of God sacrificed. He is willing to stand before God and say, God, in in their place... I will offer you my righteousness. And where they deserve to suffer, I suffered for them, so I offer you my suffering. So if you this morning are depending on yourself, let me say, quit it. Just stop it. And start trusting in Jesus Christ and be ransomed, be saved. Be set free. It will be the best day of your life if you do that today. But I would also encourage you, if you are a believer in Christ, you may need to be sure that this message of Jesus, the the Son of Man, the suffering servant who died to ransom the unworthy and unable sinners, you may need to be sure that you are actually proclaiming this message in your life and in your words. Is this the good news that you are taking to a lost and dying world? Now, it's easy to think of that question and say, well, when I actually share the gospel, I share that gospel. But I'm asking a little more than that. I'm asking if someone knows you, is the overall message that they get from your life and your words this message? Do they know that you are hopeless in your relationship to the Almighty God except for the fact that you know Jesus by faith? Do they see in you a life lived in faith in Christ? And when you talk, when you talk about politics or you talk about sports or you talk about your family or whatever you're talking about in the end of the day would anybody know that your only hope in life and death is Jesus Christ so when I ask you is this the message you are proclaiming to the world I'm not just asking on those few times that you run into a lost person and you break out the tract and you read the tract to them is that the message you're sharing I'm asking, is that the message you are sharing every moment in your life with the lost and dying world? I mean, I think this can completely revamp, restore, revitalize. I don't know. I think some other words Our evangelism. If we stop thinking evangelism is that one day I need to actually share the gospel with somebody so I can check that box. Or we start thinking, do I I live a message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and proclaim it in everything I talk about? Is it the big deal? Because, I mean, really, if you believe this, if you believe this, why is it that we would talk about everything else but this? If this is the biggest thing that ever happened in your life, Why is it the thing you talk about the least? So I'm I'm going to encourage you this morning to think about, is this message the message you and your life and your words proclaim to a lost and dying world? Then the third thing I'd ask you to do with the word this morning is this. Really ask yourself, are you thinking like one of the disciples or are you listening to the word of Jesus? What's your goal? What is is your goal? Is your goal greatness in the kingdom? I I hope it is, right? Jesus never said you shouldn't want to be great in the kingdom, did he? That's not what he said. He just said that the way to greatness is through service. So maybe you need to go back to that, that very first message and say, you know what, I do believe that Jesus is my only hope in life and death. But as I thought about that in my life, what I've always thought is, Jesus is my only hope in life and death. Glory to me. Right? Because of Jesus, I get awesomeness. Right? I mean, think about it. I I think that can really sneak into the Christian life. We think, I get heaven, I get this, I've got Jesus all the time, it's really good for me. Awesome. It's all just... And we never think, wait a minute, Jesus said the way to greatness in his kingdom is to get down and get dirty and low and serve people. And he didn't just use the words, I mean, Jesus is politically incorrect. He said you need to be the slave of others. In other words, you, you look at others and you say, what I will do to follow Jesus is I will absolutely put their good ahead of my own. Isn't that what Jesus did? I mean, following Christ, He had heaven. He had the throne already. Right? This Son of Man coming before the Ancient of Days gets the kingdom, gets the throne. He's not waiting for that to happen. That has happened. He's already the King. He's already your Lord. The question is, are you following your Lord? And and, and the way He did was... Service and suffering now for glory later. So, are you actually ready to follow Jesus to greatness? Is your life shaped by by following the path of Jesus to greatness, which is the path of service, even sacrifice? So, three things. First of all, are you among the ransomed? Today's the day if you're not. You do not have to leave here carrying the guilt of your sin. I would beg of you, please don't. Second of all, are you proclaiming the message of Christ the ransom for many in your words, in your life? And third, are you headed to greatness the right way through service? I mean, I think there's a lot for each of us to take away, but I would encourage you, just take, if you just take one of those away this morning, and say, I'm going to work on that. Maybe take it home with you today and say, I'm going to, I'm going to read Mark 10, 45. It's only one verse. You can remember that one. It's right there in your bulletin. Take your bulletin home. Read that verse again, and I'm going to ask myself, what do I need to do with this today? And I'm going to make up a game plan. Do something with the Word of God today. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you so much for your Word because it is true. But we also thank you for your word because your word gives us Jesus. And God, we are without hope if we are without Christ. So, Lord, this morning, as we've started to consider how Christ indeed is our only hope in life and in death, God, I pray that you would use your word. I pray that your spirit would take this word and and do its work in us. Don't let us, don't let us leave here without dealing with the word. God, give us understanding, give us belief, and help us to live according to that belief. Lord, I don't know where each person is struggling or what they're wrestling with this morning, but you do. And your spirit is able to deal with each one. So I lift them all up to you and I pray that your spirit would work today in each person and that you would be glorified in the way they respond to your word. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Tom's going to come lead us in our...